Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Job this morning. Job chapter 42, the very last chapter of Job. And we've spent now several Sunday mornings looking at Job and his trials that he faced, the suffering of Job. Uh, Job is famous not only uh, to those who know the Bible, but even many who don't. He's famous for the great affliction that he faced in his life. Uh, he was a man of great abundance, of great wealth, uh, of a solid family, a man who feared God. Uh, he was well respected in his community. He was a man of reputation and honor. He was a man who lived in the blessings of God. And there came a day when all of those things came to an end. And the Lord allowed him to face the loss of every good that he had ever known in his life. He lost his wealth, he lost his family, he lost his position in the community, his place of respect, and ultimately he would even lose his own health as his body would be covered in boils and sores, and then sadly, later on he lost his friends. Those who came to comfort him ended up becoming his accusers. And those who, rather than building him up and encouraging him, would tear him down. And so we, we spent some time looking at that and, and really relating some of the aspects of Job's sufferings to the reality that we all face hardships at times in life. And while we don't face things in the same way that Job did and on the same scale, all of us have had some things that we've had to face in life that have been difficult, some more than others. Most of us have gone through times of grief where we've lost someone who's near and dear to us. Some of you have lost a child. Some of you have lost a spouse. Uh, some of us have lost parents and grandparents and people that we love and are close to. And we know that, that feeling of emptiness that is left, that, that hole that's left in our lives. Uh, some of you have faced trials and, and, and difficulties in life in relation to your health. And, and you know the, the, the weight that that is on you. Some of us have faced financial difficulties. Some of us have faced uh, other problems, family problems, and things of that nature. There's all kinds of things that we could talk about. But in reality, we know that trials and suffering are common to all men. And I believe that's why the Lord put this book in the Bible to teach us how we ought to respond when those things come. And so we spent some time looking at Job and his response last week we looked at this incredible part of the book where the Lord himself speaks up and begins to give some insight to Job about the reality of who he is and his sovereignty over all things and basically lovingly rebuked Job and said, Job, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, in, in your response to this, you're not thinking clearly because your eyes are not fixed on me. Well, now in Job chapter 42, we're going to read of Job responding to the Lord now. And so Job chapter 42, if you're there and able, would you stand with me as we read this? If you're not able to stand, that's fine. Job chapter 42, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says here, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me 
I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You can be seated this morning. Last week we talked about God's response to Job. This morning I want to look at Job's response to the Lord. If you've read through this book, as I've encouraged you to do throughout our study here, we have not looked at every verse or every chapter. We've just kind of hit some highlights along the way. But I've encouraged you to take some time and really read the book of Job. Because in there we find these insights that Job has, and even his friends to some degree have, in regard to who God is and who man is and and how we relate to Him and understanding Him. But throughout the course of the book we find that Job was a man who was upright. He was a man who was respected not only by men, but even by the Lord Himself. The Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? He's an upright man. He's a perfect man. He's a man who does right. And throughout the course of the book, Job basically in in trying to cry out to the Lord is saying, Lord, I don't know what I have done to deserve what I'm facing. Have you ever faced that before? You go through a trial or a difficulty in your life and you say, Lord, what did I do to deserve this? And that was kind of Job's attitude through the whole thing. And then the Lord comes in and he offers this perspective that basically says, Job, I'm God and you're not. And because I'm God and because you're not, there are things that you just don't understand. And you've got to be willing to trust me. And now Job responds to the Lord by making some really powerful statements about the reality of what he has gone through and now his understanding of things that he has on the other side of the trial. Now I say the other side of the trial not because his trial is over. His children still are in the grave and his body is still covered in sores and he's still financially broke. But now that he is in a place where he has some clarity and understanding, I want you to notice what he says in verse number 3. He says, Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? This is, a, <clears throat> this is actually repeating the Lord's statement back to him. The Lord said, uh, in, in, in when he started uh, back in chapter 38, in verse number 2, it says, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Job Who do you think you are? You don't know what you're talking about and you're muddying the waters. You're clouding uh, the the truth because you're speaking about things you don't understand. And now Job literally says essentially the same words. "I, I, I darken counsel without knowledge. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me. There were things that I just didn't understand. But then Job says, now there is something I understand. I want you to see the result of this trial in Job's life. Look what he says in verse number 5. I think one of the most profound statements maybe in all the Bible. He said in verse 5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. What is Job saying? He says, "Uh, Lord... Before all of these events took place in my life, I knew a lot about you. 
I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I had been taught the truth of God. And by the way, read through the book. Job knew some things about God. For a guy that didn't have a Bible, he was a guy who was pretty informed about the character and nature of God and the truth of creation and the way that God deals with man. There were just a lot of things that Job did know about God. But his statement here is this. Essentially, God, though I knew about you before I went through all of these things, now, at this point, I have not only heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but mine eye seeth thee. Now we understand that God had spoken directly to Job out of the whirlwind. We don't know exactly what that looked like. But it would be easy to say, well, Job was just expressing that now he had physically, visibly seen God or the effects of God with his own eyes. But I don't believe that that's actually what Job is talking about. Because what he's talking about here is the fact of his understanding of God. Lord, I've talked about things I didn't understand. Because before I knew of you from what I had heard, but now I've seen you. I remember as a kid, I grew up in southeastern Wisconsin, pretty midwestern. The terrain looked fairly similar uh, to what it does around here. And I remember hearing people talk about the Rocky Mountains and how large they were and, and, and just how majestic they were, but I'd never seen them before. And I think I was about nine years old or something when my family took a trip to Colorado. We drove out there. I think it took us over 20 hours or something of driving to get there. And we stayed in a, in a house right in the mountains, right, right at the foot of Mount Princeton, which is the peak is over 14,000 feet. And I remember looking out the window in the morning. We, we, we arrived late at night. It was dark outside. I remember in the morning when the sun came up, looking out the window and seeing this mountain that literally filled the entire picture window of the house and you couldn't even see the, 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 the enormity of the mountain. And I remember that experience of like, I've heard of these things my whole life, but you really can't understand it until you've seen it for yourself. You ever experienced something like that in life? Maybe it was the first time that you held your child in your hands. And, and you, you, you know, your whole life you've heard about the, how wonderful it is to be a parent and how parents love their children. And then when you hold that little baby in your arms for the first time, you experience something that before you'd only ever heard about, but you really could not understand until you've experienced it for yourself. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I believe that this is what Job is saying. God, I have heard of you before. I knew a lot of things about you. But this experience that I have been through has caused me to have an awareness, an understanding of God that is far deeper than anything I had before. And can I say to you today that, that, that oftentimes the trials that we will face in our lives give us the opportunity to know God in a deeper way. It may be that you are walking through a valley in your life right now and you're just feeling like, God, I don't understand this, I don't want this, I wish you would just deliver me from it, but it very well may be that God is allowing you to walk that valley that you, like Job, could say, Lord, I have heard of your sustaining grace, 
But now I have experienced your sustaining grace. I've heard of the peace and comfort that only you can give that passes all understanding. But now I experience it in my life. Lord, I have known a lot about you in my life. But after you have led me through this valley, there are things that I know and understand about God that I did not know before. And I want you to know I believe that there are times that God puts us through things in life or allows us to face things in life because it actually brings us into closer fellowship with Him. I don't understand why this is, but it seems to me not only by personal experience, but by the word of God and examples that are there, that we will never really know God on a deep level until we have experienced some things and walked through some things. Paul said it in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10 that, that, that his desire was that he may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. In other words, as Jesus suffered, when I suffer as Jesus did, I come to know him in a deeper way. Romans chapter 5, in fact, let's turn there, hold your place here in Job, but go with me to the New Testament, to the book of Romans, if you would, Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, we'll begin reading here in verse number 3. That timer is not for me. If it is, I'm going to go overtime, I promise. Romans chapter 5, verse number 3. It says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. This is one of the strange paradoxes of the Christian life. That a Christian would actually embrace... Suffering. James told us that we are to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. He said now in verse 3 here, we glory in tribulations. Verse number 4, and uh, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Verse 4, and patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Notice that, that statement that tribulation works patience in our lives. And patience works experience. But experience works hope. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. When we face trials and difficulties and we walk with the Lord through those things. It works, it brings in our lives this patience, this Willingness to wait on the Lord, to depend on Him. And then that patience brings about experience. Now this is an area that we probably don't set out to be experienced in. I don't want to be experienced in tribulation, in trouble, in suffering. Because that means I've got to go through it. I want to be experienced in blessings. I want to be experienced in good things, you know. But it says that patience brings experience, and experience then brings hope. Why does it bring hope? Well, experience works hope in our lives because the reality is when I face a trial and I can look back and say, you know, I've been through these things before. 
Maybe not this exact same thing, but I've been through some things before. I've experienced this before, and you know what the outcome was of that? The Lord took care of me. And it builds a confidence in us that he is able to do so again. And honestly, some of the things that, that I've faced in life, a little bit later on as I've matured in Christ, I look at them and I think, man, if I would have faced this 10 years ago, I don't know that I could have handled it. The reality is I probably couldn't have. But there were little things along the way, stepping stones, faith-building exercises that worked experience in my life, and that experience brought hope. That God is able. What, what, what is the idea here? The more that we face difficulty, the more that we come to know and depend upon the Lord. So much so that Paul was later able to say in 2 Corinthians 12 that he actually takes pleasure in his infirmities. Now that's not in a sadistic way like, ooh, I just love suffering. But it was this idea, he said, I take pleasure in infirmities. I rejoice when these things come. He said that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I've learned that when I'm weak, then am I strong. <coughs> Excuse me. Job said to God, I've heard of you, but now I see you. That was the result of his trial. And then as we go back to Job chapter number 42, <clears throat> I want to show you there was a realization. As he came to know God in a deeper way, he also came to know himself in a deeper way. There were some things he became aware of in himself that he was not previously aware of. Job 42, verse 5, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. <clears throat> verse 6, wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. He said, I, I, I hate myself. Now, I understand that we live in a world where the mantra that we hear all the time is that we need to have self-love. We need to have higher self-esteem. And I'm not saying, and I don't believe that God is saying to us today that it's his will for us to be self-loathing and hating ourselves. That's not the point at all. But here is the idea behind all of this. As we come closer to God, as we come to know him in a deeper way, we start to realize the reality of who we are. And in light of who God is, we don't look so great. Now throughout the book, Job has been trying to maintain his cause before the Lord. I, I, I don't deserve this, God. I'm an upright man. I fear God and I eschew evil. God said that about him. As far as men are concerned, he was a good man. And it wasn't as though, this is not an admission, this is not Job saying, my own actions have brought this trial into my life. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, now that I have come into the presence of the Lord, I realize something. Here's the realization. It's not that I am so good that I deserve for no bad things to ever happen to me. 
It's actually that as human beings, we are all so bad that we don't deserve any good from God. Now that may seem strange to you, but it's a reality. The Bible says that we are all sinners. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And friend, listen, the the fact that you face difficulties and trials in your life is not a testament to the fact that God is unrighteous, but rather the fact that you face good things, that you receive blessings in your life, is a testament to God's mercy and grace. If we got what we deserve from the Lord, we would all be in hell today, would we not? And yet he showers us with blessings and daily loads us with benefits. And the more that we come to understand those things, we say, Lord, you are good. I've sinned against God. I've broken his law. I understand I might be better than so-and-so over here or so-and-so over here by man's standards. Job was. I mean, he was the epitome of a good man. But in light of who God is, the only response, the only right response when you come into the presence of God is repentance. Lord, I'm not worthy because you're worthy. We read in Isaiah 6, I know I reference it often, but I think it's such a powerful passage of Scripture as Isaiah comes into the presence of the Lord and he describes what it was like to see the Lord on his throne high and lifted up. And he saw all of these things that took place and his response, the prophet of God, was to say, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. There seems to be a sentiment that sometimes people have that, you know, the closer we get to God, the more self-righteous we become. I can tell you this, self-righteousness and pride is the antithesis of a closeness with God. The closer we get to God, the more humbled we become. The more we realize that we do not Deserve him, and yet he invites us into his presence. James 4, verses 6 through 10, it says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn. And weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. That's the reality. As we try to seek the Lord, we've got to do so with humility and honesty about who we are. Nobody has ever been made right with God by saying, I know I'm not perfect, but overall I'm a pretty good person. That's not how we get right with God. We get right with God when we admit that what he says about us is true. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but you've got to confess. You've got to be willing to say, Lord, I'm I'm not worthy. I don't deserve you. Job became self-aware, Lord, you're right, 
and I'm wrong. I, I didn't bring this upon myself because of some action. This wasn't a cause and effect thing, but the truth is that I don't deserve your goodness anyway, just like no man does. But as we read on in this chapter, I want to show you that not only was there a result and there was realization, but there was a rebuke. And this rebuke came from the Lord, not to Job, but to Job's friends. Look what it says in verse number 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, this is one of Job's three friends, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. Now listen. Here's how the book unfolds. Job, we're introduced to Job and who he is. We see his, the fall of all of his things and, and, and the beginning of, of, of his suffering as he loses everything. And then we see Job respond and his friends start to try and understand all this. Then God answers, but he doesn't answer Job and his friends. He speaks to Job. And then Job talks to God. And then after that has been worked out, and Job has gotten things settled with the Lord, then the Lord turns to Job's friends and he says, Now listen, you're in trouble now. You're in trouble with me because you have spoken of things that you don't understand. And notice that he says twice that they were in trouble with him because he said, you have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant Job. I've said it several times throughout our study in the book of Job that his three friends, much of what they said was true, but it wasn't right. In other words, it was true, it was factual, a lot of what they said was factually correct, but they didn't understand the implication of that. They didn't understand the application of it. They had some general knowledge about God, but they weren't speaking right about God. And I want you to know something, I think this is very important. God cares about how we speak of him. God cares about how we speak of him and really what we believe about him. He cares. Do you remember that back in the law and the Ten Commandments, one of the things that God said in Exodus 20 and verse 7, he said, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. God said, I care about how you speak of me. Now, we understand that that would certainly apply to not using God's name as a curse word. That's never acceptable. He literally said, I'm not going to hold him guiltless who does that. You are guilty before God if you have taken his name in vain. 
But taking God's name in vain is not only using his name as a curse word, it would also apply to any other speech about God that is not becoming or not fitting of his holiness and his righteousness. This is one reason, can I just admonish everyone here, don't use God in your jokes, in your jest. Don't speak of God in a joking or a light manner. God is not man, and he is worthy to be held in high regard. He's worthy to be feared. He ought not to be included in our everyday conversation as though he is nothing. But even beyond our speech, to take the name of the Lord God in vain is to treat his name as though it is nothing. You can come into church and take the name of the Lord in vain. You can pray. Listen, we've probably all been guilty of this. You can pray in Jesus' name without your heart being really engaged in what you're doing. And you know what you're doing? You're using his name in a flippant manner. You can come to church and sing about the Lord without really reverencing him in your heart. You're taking his name in vain. I'm just saying God cares about that. God said about Job's friends, hey, listen, you've been speaking a whole lot of things about me, but you haven't been right. And because of that, you're in trouble. It matters, friend, what we believe about God and what we say about God. God cares about that. And so he rebukes them here. And he says, hey, listen, if you want for me to accept you, here's what you need to do. You need to come and offer this sacrifice, and then you need to go ask your friend that you just threw under the bus for the last 30 chapters to pray for you. Because I'm willing to listen to Job. Job speaks right about me. So he rebukes the friends, and then I want you to see that there was relief that came. For several weeks, we've talked about Job's burdens, his trials, his suffering. But I want you to notice that there did come a time where God brought relief from the trial. Isn't it good to know that the suffering of this life is only temporary? And most of the trials that we face have an end at some point where the grief starts to lessen and life starts to move forward again and, 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 and things begin to turn around at some point. But even if that never comes this side of heaven, friend, the sufferings of this time are temporary. If you know the Lord Jesus, there is coming a day when all of these things are going to be a thing of the past. And God's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. And there will be no more sickness and no more death and no more pain and no more sorrow. And that day is coming for all of us who know the Lord. And so it says here in verse number 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted uh, him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. 
For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name, and it gives their names there in verse 14. Verse 15, all the land, and in, in all the land, there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this, Job lived in 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died, being old and full of days. The end of the story of Job, even though it's just a few verses long, shows us that there did come an end to the suffering, to the trial, and the Lord brought greater blessing upon him than what he had experienced before. And the, the word that the Lord uses here in verse 10 is that he turned the captivity of Job. Job was held captive to his suffering until the Lord released him from that. He turned the captivity, and what was the end result? Well, the Lord ultimately gave him twice as much as he had before. I believe that when you read verse number 16, after this, Job lived in 140 years. I believe it's very possible that Job was 70 years old when the trial came because the Lord gave him twice as much afterwards as he had before. And maybe he gave him twice as much life too. Because as you look at this, it says that he gave him twice as much Verse 12 says that he blessed the latter end more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. As you go back to the beginning of the book, that's literally exactly twice as much as he had before he lost it all. God blessed him doubly after the fact. Now here's another side note. And let me say, I think this is ought to be encouraging to anyone who's maybe lost a child. He lost ten. The Lord gave him twice as much. He gave him twice as many animals, twice as many servants, twice as much money. But you look at verse 13, it says he had also seven sons and three daughters. That was the same number he had in the beginning. You know why? Because even though Job's children were taken from him in this life, he didn't actually lose them. In the end, at the beginning he had ten children. At the end he had twenty. Ten were living, ten were not. But the Lord didn't give him twenty children and say, forget about those other ten. He gave him ten more. And I just want you to know, when we lose someone that we love, we're separated. But for believers... We don't sorrow as those that have no hope because we know where they are and we know that we get to go be with them. Job would get to go and be with them again. The Lord turned his captivity. But I want you to notice when the Lord turned his captivity. It says in verse number 10, the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Now, the Lord spoke for three chapters and basically said, Job, look up, look at me, look at me, look at me. Don't look at your circumstances, look at me. And then he turned the captivity of Job when Job looked off of himself and he looked at his friends. Do you know what happens a lot of times when we go through trials and sufferings? We turn very inward and everything becomes about us. 
and everything revolves around me. And we can become very selfish. And it's easy to think that even other people, their life needs to revolve around us now. And, 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 and they have a responsibility to help me. But Job didn't find relief from his suffering until he got, got his eyes off of himself and prayed for his friends. Do you know that that's actually a biblical principle? Philippians 2 verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I understand when we face a crisis in life, it consumes us. It's all we can think about. But can I tell you, friend, that if you are ever going to move forward in life after facing difficulty, at some point, you've got to get your eyes off of yourself. Start looking on the needs of other people. Christian friend, you've got to get your eyes off of yourself and start looking at the lost souls in the world for whom Christ died, trying to reach them. You ought to get your eyes off of yourself and start looking at your brothers and sisters in Christ and trying to minister to them. We, we've got to look outward. As long as we look inward, we become very selfish and self-absorbed, and God does not bless that. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And I want to say this also. These people that Job prayed for were not deserving For 30 plus chapters, they've just blasted Job about how terrible of a guy he is. He said they were miserable comforters. They, didn't, they, didn't, they came to help him, but they were of no help at all. They just added to his affliction. And now what's he doing? He's praying for them. This tells me that not only did he have to learn to look away from himself onto other people, but he also had to learn to exercise forgiveness. You know what happens when, when people go through difficulty and suffering in life? A lot of times, they will become bitter. Angry at the world. Angry at people who have wronged them. You know what bitterness does? It destroys you. It's harmful to yourself. If you want to be able to get healing, you've got to learn to forgive. You've got to learn to be willing to offer compassion to people who maybe don't even deserve it. Maybe people who have hurt you and wronged you, and you say, well, it's just not fair. They don't deserve it. Job's friends didn't deserve it. But God wasn't ready to turn Job's captivity until Job was willing to pray for his friends. Can I encourage you? I don't know, again, I don't know what it is in your life that, that, that has hurt you, has harmed you, some area of affliction or suffering that you're facing, but can I just encourage you, you will not heal until you learn to look away from yourself onto others, until you're willing to offer forgiveness to people who have wronged you. The Lord turned the captivity of Job when Job prayed for his three friends. The result of his trial was that he came to know God in a deeper way. Could it be that God is drawing you into a closer relationship with him? Maybe you've never been saved. You have never received Christ as your savior. 
And you don't know God at all because you don't have a relationship with God. You've never met Him. You've never been received into His family. Today, can I encourage you to turn to Him and be saved? Maybe you're saved and you say, I just believe that God is trying to help me to know Him in a deeper way. Draw nigh unto Him. Job, because of, he real, because of the, the result that he saw God and understood God, he had a greater self-awareness of who God is and who he is. There was a rebuke by God against the three friends where he said, you've not spoken right of me as Job has, but there was relief that came when Job got out of himself, turned his eyes onto the Lord, got his eyes off of the circumstances, looked up and looked out, and offered forgiveness, that was when he experienced healing. Now this whole series on the book of Job has been geared toward helping us understand how to deal with hardship in life. Can I encourage you? Look up, look out, and forgive. Forgive.